0: Good morning, everyone. The reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23, and that can be found on pages page uh, 1183. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on christ for in christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in christ you have been brought to fullness He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Karina. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be working through this book of Colossians, a book that is so rich with wonderful teaching about who God is and what He's done. This is our fourth week in our series of seven in Colossians. So, if you're just sort of joining us, we're exactly halfway through today. I want to start by talking about some advice that my mum gave me. This is advice my mum gave me back in high school when I first started doing exams as good advice. Her advice was avoid the panic mongers. This was her advice. I'm not sure if you can relate to what I'm talking about. Panic mongers, my mum just described, were people, students, who got very nervous just before an exam started, very anxious at the door of the exam. And maybe as a bit of a coping mechanism, they would say things that would also make other people very anxious things like oh, i'm not prepared i'm not prepared for this exam i didn't even get to go through the last chapter it's going to be on there i know it's going to be on there oh, you probably didn't get to do it either honestly i think i'm probably going to fail oh dear have you you haven't prepared properly either my mum's advice was trust your preparation avoid the panic mongers mostly because they're almost definitely wrong but also because there's nothing more you could have done. You've done your prep, that's enough. I raise this because I wonder if there's also panic-mongering when it comes to our faith sometimes. Sometimes people will raise things and you might hear them and think, was I supposed to know that? Or was I supposed to be doing that? Is that something that's really important and I'm not across it? I don't have it. Does this mean I'm a deficient Christian or something? Am I missing something? Am I missing something? Now, if you think it's bad as a church member, as a church attender, it's it's even worse as a pastor, that feeling. When someone raises something, uh, something of faith, and I think, I've never heard of that before. I, I probably should have been across that. And we can panic, can't we? We can panic depending on what it is. Let me say, this is not a new problem. Back in Paul's time, there was also panic-mongering with faith. Certain people would suggest to the Christians, what, you don't know that? Or you're not doing that? Or you haven't had that experience? And they would make people wonder, am I incomplete? Am I missing something crucial that I should have had? Today's passage is a wonderful reminder for people then and for now not to panic. Not to panic because if you have Jesus... You're not missing anything. If you have Jesus, you're not missing anything. Today's reading is where Paul gets the sharpest focus on the exact occasion of the letter. Why has he actually decided to dictate this letter? He was writing to the Colossians significantly because he'd heard of a bundle of false teaching. False teaching that was taking hold in the region where Colossae was situated. And he wanted to respond to it really clearly so that the Christians there didn't get confused by it. Colossae was a good, solid church. It had faith and hope and love. We saw that in chapter one. So Paul's big desire is not for them to pick up something they've they've really missed. No, his desire is for them just to grow in knowledge and wisdom, to mature, and particularly to grow in knowledge of the truth. That Jesus is all they need. Jesus is all they need so that they wouldn't get confused by this false teaching that was going around the region. In our last reading actually that Jeff covered last week this is his clearest summary of this goal. Sorry no I covered this last week. This is the clearest summary of the goal. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, why is he telling them this? I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I hope this is really clear. He wanted the Colossians to have complete, rich, deep understanding about Jesus Christ so no one could deceive them by any other arguments. And today, like I said, this is the pointy end of this desire that Paul has. As he actually will suggest some of the false teachings that he wants to protect them from. We'll have a look at this. In today's passage, Paul does two big things. He emphasizes the importance of Jesus and he addresses the false teaching. We'll go through these in turn. One of the big themes in this whole letter is how important Jesus is. You've probably picked that up through all the talks so far. And I don't think it's because Paul's particularly concerned about the Colossians forgetting Jesus, but he wants his response to false teaching to be grounded in Jesus, not not just taught in a vacuum. I'll read the verses from today that focus on this. Paul writes, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead." When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There's a lot in there, isn't there? This is what Paul does. He jam-packs these letters, doesn't he? But there's two big emphases here one of these is fullness fullness or completion he writes in christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in christ you've been brought to fullness before paul gets his teeth into the false teaching he wants to address he emphasizes that jesus is complete the fullness the completeness of god dwells in jesus and that believers have also been brought to fullness If the spiritual panic mongers of the Colossian region were suggesting that they're lacking something, Paul says, no, you're not lacking anything. You worship the completeness of God in Jesus. And he has made you complete. There's nothing missing. His other big emphasis here is on dominion. The dominion of Jesus over other powers. He says, he is the head over every power and authority. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Some of the spiritual additions that were probably being suggested by these false teachers, actually some of them belong to other distracting, perhaps even evil, spiritual forces and powers. So Paul reminds the Colossians, don't forget who's the head in the spiritual world here and who has defeated all other powers that are opposed to him. So when he uses these two images of fullness and dominion, Paul's setting up this contrast, isn't he? He's saying you can either trust in Jesus, God in human flesh, or you can dabble in these opposing and subordinate spiritual forces. Maybe a modern equivalent would be if someone approached you or someone approached me and said, look, Paul, I know you trust in Jesus. That's great. I'm into spiritual things too. I'm just a bit concerned... Paul, that you're not really hearing voices from the grave. It's important to listen to spirits from the dead. doesn't mean you need to stop trusting Jesus, Paul. It could just be a helpful extra thing to do. And they say to me, Paul, why don't you come to a seance that I'm having in a few nights? Come along, just come along, have a listen. But if I remember Colossians 2, I could respond to someone who said that and say, actually, I'm not missing anything. I'm not missing a thing. Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. And he's brought me to fullness, to completeness in my faith. Nothing's missing. And also, Jesus has dominion. Jesus has power over any dark spiritual powers out there, including the powers you're interested in. They're just the kind of things that oppose Jesus, that he defeated on the cross. I'm not particularly interested in spending time with the defeated enemies of my king. It's helpful, isn't it? Jesus gives fullness and he has dominion dominion and power and right in the middle of these two things paul gives this incredible reminder of all the things jesus has done for the christians i won't read it out but he he just unpacks so many ways that what jesus has done for us on the cross and rising to new life gives us wonderful blessings there's image upon image of the riches of Jesus' work for us. He says, Jesus' death, it's like a circumcision. Not, not a human one, but a cutting off of your old self, of your old identity, your sinful identity. When you came to faith in Jesus and were baptized, he says, it's like you went into that tomb with Jesus. You were dying and then rising again in God's power to new life. He, your journey to Jesus, he says, it's like that. It's as powerful as one who is dead, becoming alive. You are dead in your sins, now you've come to new life. And that charge against you, he says, that guilty charge that we all have against us, the debt that we could not pay, that verdict that condemned us all, he says that's been cancelled, that's been wiped out, wiped clean when Jesus died on the cross. By the end of verse 14, by the time you're halfway through our reading, Paul's goal is that his readers have complete assurance in their faith. Jesus is God in human flesh. He's sufficient, he's complete. Jesus has done for us everything we need through his death and rise into life. There's nothing more that we need. Paul's very clear, if you have Jesus, you're not missing anything. I wonder how we go having that kind of assurance, that deep assurance that Paul has here, that if we have Jesus, we're not missing anything. Or if sometimes, just sometimes we wonder If we're missing something, if our faith is insufficient, maybe something other people know or do or experience that we don't. Let me really encourage you with this first half of the section, that if you do have Jesus, if you have trust in Jesus, you're not missing anything. And in the next section, Paul's going to consider some of the specific things the Colossians might have been hearing that they were missing. And I think these fall into three rough categories, which I think are the same today as well. So we'll go through these one by one. The first thing that they might have been circulating is that the Colossian Christians were missing some crucial theology or knowledge. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Paul uses a pretty strange sort of greek word here which is translated elemental spiritual forces the word is stoicheia if you're interested Uh, it's hard to know exactly what he's referring to but it's probably a broad term referring to any non-christian spirituality generally and as he digs into the examples you see there's a combination of jewish rule keeping but also some pagan uh, ascetic religious elements too but his point's very clear isn't it don't be taken captive By empty spiritual philosophy. We don't know a lot about this philosophy, what exactly it was, um, but it was probably something like special knowledge. In the first two centuries following Jesus' death, a movement arose known as Gnosticism. The Gnostic movement suggested that in addition to foundational Christian teaching, a true, you know, a real, mature spiritual person also had access to certain deeper spiritual mysteries but not everyone got this access you needed the special keys to unlock these kind of special things it's likely in Colossae there was like an early version of this teaching and the teachers were suggesting that these christians they really needed that extra extra kind of level of spiritual knowledge paul says don't let them take you captive by this don't let them make you feel like you're missing out on something If it's any special knowledge that depends on human tradition or elemental spirituality rather than Jesus, Paul writes, you can ignore it. You can forget about it. You don't need it. I wonder if there's a risk for us today that we feel like we're missing out on some special secret spiritual knowledge. I think this risk can come up in a couple of ways. One is that sometimes we can be encouraged to add some other religious teaching. To our faith. Maybe some Buddhist teaching or some New Age spirituality. Sometimes people can make it feel like sticking to one faith is a bit limiting, that actually there's spiritual knowledge that's worth having outside of what Jesus brings. But Paul's very clear, if you've got Jesus, you're not missing anything. I think there's another more prevalent risk in this area of knowledge and theology, which is Possibly uh, elevating fringe or academic spiritual teaching to the point where if you don't understand what's going on you might feel like you're missing out. Now I accept this is slightly different uh, to Paul's example because often the teaching here is actually Christian or biblical teaching. But it's certainly a risk I've experienced and I would want to say the feeling is the same. The feeling is the same. I remember when I was at University, I was involved in the Christian Union group, a wonderful group at uni. And sometimes other students there would start talking about some complex spiritual topics. And I would often have no idea what they were talking about. And I would have that feeling that Paul's addressing. Am I missing something really important? I mean, I've got faith in Jesus. I trust that Jesus is Lord. And I trust that Jesus died and rose again for me. But, hey maybe i don't know the difference between expiation and propitiation maybe i can't explain the new perspectives on paul i can't articulate the arminian position on the atonement maybe i haven't got a fully detailed eschatology worked out am i missing something am i missing something now i want to be a bit careful here this is a slightly different example because all these are questions of christian theology and of course learning and growing in knowledge they're good things to do, aren't they? It's always good to keep learning. But it's also secondary to the gospel. And if we ever have that feeling like we're missing something because we're not up with the latest or most complex Christian academic teaching, Paul reminds us if we have Jesus, we're not missing anything. We're not missing anything. Well, the second, maybe the largest example here for the Colossians is they were hearing they were missing out on some practices or observances. Paul writes, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He goes on, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces, there's that word again, of this world, Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here Paul tackles another source of false teaching which was about practice and observance things that you might do now some of the examples here are clearly of a jewish origin when he talks about new moon celebrations and sabbath day observances these are from the old testament covenant from the bible most colossian christians that paul was writing to were gentile believers that is they didn't have jewish background and it was probably some jewish teachers in the town who were suggesting to them come on guys if you're serious about the messiah if you're serious about worshiping jesus as god's promised king you're also supposed to follow all the detail in the old testament law you know the the regulated festivals the food laws you're missing all these practices it's interesting if you look at what paul writes he doesn't say these are, are rubbish or these are nonsense or these are silly he says they're a shadow they're a shadow he knows this is god's word to god's people But they're a shadow of what is to come. They're a shadow of Jesus, who's the real thing. And so they're unnecessary for these Christians. These Christians, they've got the real thing. They've got Jesus. They don't need the thing that points to him. There's another bundle of practices, though, that Paul suggests as coming out of the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Possibly referring to that pagan ascetic spirituality of the time. Now, this feels like a different bundle of teaching because Paul here says these are based on merely human rules and commands. Paul doesn't write that sort of thing about the Old Testament, which were from God. But they were also demanding extra rules and practices upon the Christians. Well, I wonder if this is a risk for us today. I wonder if we ever feel like we're missing out on some practice or observance we should be doing. I'm not talking about Christian obedience to God here. Because God does call us to live in a particular way, doesn't he? God calls us to be pure and to be peaceful and to be loving and to be honest, to love others as we love ourselves and to love God with all our being. There is a way we're called to live. I guess what I'm talking about is practices and observances that might be added on. Let me, let me suggest a few examples. And if you're, you're not convinced by them, you can take, take them up with me after the service. My first example is I have a friend who describes himself as a Sabbath-observing Christian. Now, I'm not talking about a general sense of trying to have a day of rest in the week, which is often a Sunday, to reflect the rhythm of work and rest that God practices, which I think is a very wise thing to do. I'm talking about genuine Sabbath observance, Sabbath being Saturday, of course, following Jewish Sabbath rules and regulations. And sometimes when my friend's spoken to me about this and its importance, I do wonder, should I be doing this like he does? Am I missing something crucial here? Second example, over the years, certain behaviors not explicitly prohibited in the Bible have been a source of nervousness and anxiety amongst believers. Examples like drinking alcohol or dancing or smoking or gambling. Let me say, some of these practices involve some serious questions of wisdom. I would say smoking is a fairly unwise practice. Gambling is usually unwise to do. Drinking could definitely be unwise if someone struggles to limit themselves. But certainly the risk has been, I think, elevating wisdom decisions to obedience decisions. Third example. I know some... Christian churches that very closely follow the traditional Christian calendar. Now, I'm not just talking about Christmas and Easter, but also things like Pentecost Sunday, Ascension Day, the Epiphany, Trinity Sunday, those sort of things. It's interesting, often when the Warnable Pastors Network gather, as we do every month, uh, and we, we have our, our Warnable Pastors breakfast, which is lovely, but sometimes someone will ask, Well, what did we all do for Transfiguration Sunday? And I will think, I missed it, I don't even know when that was, and we didn't do anything. Sometimes the other observances that sort of make me feel like we're missing something are Australian cultural observances or practices that I sometimes wonder if we miss as a church. Things like International Women's Day, or Anzac Day, or Father's Day, or NAIDOC Week, or something. Now, some of these days we do mark, and, and some of them we don't, but certainly... Often after the fact, I will have a feeling, did we just miss a Sunday we should have acknowledged for some reason? Paul's message again is, if you have Jesus, you're not missing anything. These things, sometimes good, sometimes helpful, they are secondary to the gospel. We might choose to celebrate some observances and not others for any given reason. We might choose to abstain from some things in our life out of wisdom for any reason. But we're not actually missing out on anything if we do or don't. Paul's message is clear. If we have Jesus, we're not missing anything. All right, the third and final focus of false teaching here is about experience. Paul writes, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen, and they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. The reference here to false humility is probably really referring to some self-denial, like the practices referred to before, do not taste, do not touch. But there are definitely references here to spiritual experiences. He writes about the worship of angels... And he talks about people going into great detail about what they've seen, maybe visions or, or dreams from God or, or heightened worship experiences or something. Paul says, don't let people like this disqualify you. Don't let them make you feel inferior in your faith. Maybe these experiences genuinely are from God. Maybe this person did receive wonderful dreams and visions. But if they're delighting in them with a a superiority, if they're making it sound like you're missing out on something because you haven't had that experience, he says, please be assured you're not missing anything. I wonder if this is a risk for us today as well, that we feel like we're missing some spiritual experience that others have had. I actually think this is the biggest example for us today of all the examples. Personal experiences are highly valued today. And in a sense, I think rightly so. If I've experienced something that's meaningful for me, that's a huge part of my story. And and that's great, I think. God works in that. The risk, of course, is declaring that some experiences are normative, that they should be felt by everyone. Because sometimes talking about personal experiences like they're normative, like they're just normal, everyone should have this experience, can be pretty anxiety-provoking. So, for example, if you had a, a profound, overwhelming experience and sense of God's presence and love when you first came to trust in Jesus and you explained that to me, you might even be looking for solidarity in that. You might, you might even be saying, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? That, that amazing feeling of God's love just on you at that time as if God's right there in the room enfolding you in his arms, that sense of his presence. Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't it amazing for you? It was amazing for me when it happened for me. And if I'm there, and if I'm hearing this, and I've never had that experience, well, I might think, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with it? How did I miss out on that? How did I miss that feeling? Am I even a Christian? This sounds important, but I never had it. Another common one is when people talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit as a crucial second stage in Christian maturity. I remember being in a small group in China. I was visiting China at the time, um, and I was with a bunch of people I'd only just met. And after the group, one of them immediately asked me, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now, he wasn't asking about whether I trusted in Jesus, but was clearly pointing to a, a secondary experience that he had had And he wanted to know if I'd had it too. Now, I would certainly not doubt God's work in his life and the experience he'd had, a powerful experience of God's work in his life. But the implication was that if I also hadn't had this experience, I was missing something. If you've been in this situation, if you've had this feeling, whatever the circumstance is, let's hear Paul clearly today. If we have Jesus... We're not missing anything. Some of us will have certain experiences, which is great. Others will not or will have different experiences. And there's nothing wrong with that. God works in all sorts of ways to encourage and equip and empower and challenge his people as needed. But none are essential. If we have Jesus, we're not missing anything. Well, I wonder if any of these three instances or examples ring loudest for you feeling like you're missing out on some crucial intellectual understanding or theology, or there's a a practice or observance that you really should be doing, or that you haven't had an experience which you think must be normative for people. If, If you're in that situation, or if you have been, if you've kind of felt that anxiety from spiritual panic mongers, Paul's word here is designed to be a real encouragement for us all. If you have Jesus, you're not missing anything. Well, as we finish, I'm going to encourage you to close your eyes. I'm going to read some key verses about Jesus and what he's done for us, and then I'm going to pray. So let me encourage you to close your eyes. I'll read and then pray. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility And the worship of angels disqualify you. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Lord God, we are so grateful for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, that you came to this earth in your fullness, that you lived and died for our sake and rose to new life, Lord, so that we can move from death to life. Lord, we thank you that in you, we have everything we need. In you, we have been brought to fullness, not partial completion, Lord, but to fullness through what you've done. Lord, I pray for those times when we might experience that feeling, that panicked feeling of missing something. Lord, I pray that you would give us that deep assurance that because we have faith in you, we're not missing anything. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to conclude our service with a wonderful song reminding us